Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Chiller. And yes, the astute amongst you would have noticed that last week there was no Weekly Squeak. That was because the first half of the week I had a really heavy cold. And in the second half of the week I was in Fostem and it just didn't quite happen. So sorry about that. But uh, we are back. I am back. And this episode, as well as a handful of links, I have an interview with Paul from Learned.io, a platform that is looking to see how staff can be retained and not lost and all the costs associated with that uh, loss that uh, companies often have to endure. So we'll come back to that soon. But first, my links for the week. Starting with definitely some more technical ones. The first is an article on ZDNet from Liam Tung. Uh, this is a big update to Wine. Wine is one of those applications that actually I wasn't even completely sure that it was still going. But uh, it is. Wine 5 is a huge update with over 7,000 updates and features. And uh, it's also now being, or maybe it always was, I'm not sure, co-maintained by Microsoft. And it helps you run Windows 10 applications on Linux and also actually uh, Mac OS. Um, I haven't also probably used Wine for so long because I've been lucky enough to have a uh, Parallels account for some time, just running an entire VM of Windows, which is probably overkill, but I have the disk space right now. And I'm also running a few games and slightly odd applications that, well, actually, I'm going to try and see if they do run in Wine, but uh, I'm not 100% sure if they would, especially games. But maybe I'll go and see. Um, but yeah, if that is your thing or sounds appealing to you, for those obscure Windows applications that we all sometimes still have lying around that you want to run on your Mac or Linux machine, then take a look. First, a fairly lengthy post that uh, I must admit bits of it lost me, bits of it I found very interesting, from the Brave blog by Brave. Uh, there is no necessarily author here. Oh, no, there's a few people. That's why. Um, there's about four or five authors. Lots of people with doctor in front of their name. Anyway, I'll stop uh, digressing. This is Brave One Performance Methodology and Results. There have been a few posts and tweets recently about Brave's uh, performance and how it is better than many other browsers. It's Chromium, uh, so kind of like Google Chrome and other browsers, but strips away a lot of tracking and all this kind of thing. This is often how you speed up browsers, actually. Um, I was using Brave with, um, I really liked it. Uh, up until recently, I switched to Firefox. Mostly, well, there's some sketchy ethical reasons around the founder and creator of Brave, which uh, made me feel slightly uncomfortable. Uh, I wasn't 100% sure about them. But also, actually, more practically speaking, the sync uh, feature just does not do it for me. It only syncs bookmarks. I like having uh, open tabs to be syncable and other things as well. And frankly, even that doesn't really work very well. I would frequently uh, get back bookmarks that I had already removed and all sorts of things. And actually, bookmark syncing, I know there are other options and alternatives, and I was using some of them, like adding links into Evernote and all sorts of crazy things instead. Um, but that is actually quite important to me. I like that sync to work, and with Brave, it really doesn't right now. But anyway, if that does not bother you, and you or and or you really like looking at statistics on web page load speeds, and take a look at this post because there's quite a lot of detail here that will really interest you. Lots of graphs, 
lots of statistics, lots of numbers, and as an open source project, lots of explanation as to how they did it as well. So if that's your thing, go take a look. Continuing in the, uh, I guess, going into detail about things that we all kind of know, here is something actually from the Reuters Institute from Dr. Richard Fletcher, the truth behind filter bubbles bursting some myths. This was interesting for a couple of different ways. So the, the subtext here is many voices warn that social media may be filtering out news we dislike. Here's what the research says about it. And were this maybe a post on a more clickbaity site, you might interpret that as being um, something that proposes that's wrong or something like that. But this is actually an academic piece. So this is more about presenting the facts and also a lot of nice summary and explanation about what that even means, what a filter bubble actually is. It's a term we refer to and use a lot um, without probably a lot of people really understanding what they mean when they say it. So that is also interesting. If if you never really knew what that meant and would like to know more, then this is a great post as well. It actually breaks down each kind of uh, section of what uh, an aspect of a filter bubble is, what it means, showing you some facts, showing you some charts again. So it's actually a very, very interesting post for anyone who's interested in understanding a bit more about what it means, but also getting a very factual presentation about what it means as opposed to an opinionated uh, expression of what it means. So I found it very thankful. Well, sorry, I was very thankful for it and uh, very useful and uh, yeah, just very to the facts, a good old kind of way a research piece should be. And actually the article concludes with, I guess, the clickbaity question posed in the subtitle is that should we or should we not focus on filter bubbles? And the author's conclusion is yes, no. <laughs> but more that we often use filter bubbles as an excuse for not looking at other reasons behind things. And this is something that always gets my attention when people say, well, actually, it's too easy just to say, hey, look, it's this reason and then not look at the other reasons. And that is the interesting conclusion of the post that I urge you to get to the bottom of and find out more. Okay, we're getting out of the technology kind of angle now into some other things. This was an article on Nautilus from Claire Cameron. Five languages that could change the way you see the world. I love language. I love the study of language. I love learning about languages. I'm not necessarily very good at learning languages, but I love learning about them anyway. And uh, this caught my attention because I have encountered a few things recently, especially in code breaking. Um, this was an issue that, well, not an issue, but a topic that is discussed a fair bit around how language can dictate the way that you write ciphers and things like that. So in World War II, in the American army in the Pacific um, theater, used the Sioux tribes, often or speakers, as, uh, as code, uh, code um, I don't the word, code operatives, <laughs> I'm not sure, because the Japanese had a very slim chance of being able to understand what they were saying to each other because it's an obscure language that has certain constructs that people don't know about. I also read recently a book, um, I cannot remember what it was about exactly, sorry, no, I can't remember what it was about, but I can't remember who it was about, about a tribe in the Amazon rainforest that uh, an academic and linguist lived with for some time, and their language, and they have a very unique language, and again, the way they construct sentences and things like that influences and is influenced by their culture and their daily life. And this is kind of what this post is about. So 
the, it poses, uh, Claire poses here things like languages that don't have any concept of the future. Languages, unlike English, that do not uh, orientate themselves in their environment by thinking of themselves as the center of it. So in English, we often say, um, go forward, go left. Um, and that is not necessarily how many other people think. So it's, 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 it's interesting to look at languages and realize how they dictate the way we think. And this is something that intrigues me a lot as I travel around the world a lot and hear people's languages and have a certain extent knowledge of French and German. And really, you do see how language does influence culture so much. Um, and vice versa. And it's quite fascinating. And this article specifically tends to focus on some more obscure languages, but uh, it's it's interesting anyway. Next on Slate from Rose Everleth is lab-grown meat really meat? I am mostly vegetarian. I don't really like meat. So these sorts of articles interest me because they get into the, well, generally they get into the aspect of the ethics. Uh, if an animal was not slaughtered and did not grow up in captivity, is it not that bad to not kill them because they were never quote-unquote alive in the first place or not directly? Obviously, the meat is kind of genetically created from extracts of an animal at some point, but uh, you know, over time that, I guess, becomes more abstract from the source. But what this article is actually about <laughs> is not that. There's a whole other discussion. It's about labelling. Um, and the arguments going on in the US at the moment about who should regulate and label lab-grown meat. Should it, be, should it be the Department of Agriculture or should it be the Food and Drug Administration? Um, which in my mind seems some crossover, but yes. And this is the problem at the moment. No one is entirely sure. And generally... The Department of Agriculture is being lobbied by various farming groups to not let them be managed by the Department of Agriculture. And in fact, they should not even be able to use the term meat or beef or lamb or whatever it happens to be. Um, I don't know. Actually, in some respects, I think the Food and Drug Administration kind of makes a little bit more sense. Uh, the fact that it's food and drug is often <laughs> intriguing to me, but anyway, uh, by the by. Um, and I sort of see this, and there have been other discussions in the world uh, around this when it comes to milk, things like dairy milk versus all other types of milk. Should it be called milk? Many of the milk alternative companies chose that word on purpose because it was familiar. But a lot of people in the dairy industry said, well, it's not milk. Or is it? <laughs> so we've been here before. Um, yeah, so not even getting into the ethics of the whole conversation and, of course, at the moment, even the expense, but labelling what actually is lab-grown meat. And the discussion has gone even more meta, I suppose, into the discussions around meat-free burgers and things like that that have no, no concept of meat whatsoever. And many uh, farming lobby groups say they also should not have the words meat in them. Interesting times. Uh, this will play out differently in different countries, I guess. And it may be that, as is typical with these sorts of situations, that consumers end up dictating what it is they want. <laughs> and that just becomes the uh, the derogator and not necessarily what the various authorities want it to be. But we shall see. I would love to hear your opinions on this piece, especially christianchiller.com slash contact. Find a way to uh, drop me a line and we can 
get your opinions on what you thought. And finally, um, this was covered in a few places. I've specifically got here an article from comicbook.com by Patrick uh, Kavanagh around uh, yet another attempt to make an H.P. Lovecraft um, film. Yeah, I think it's a film, not a TV show. On the colour out of space. Um, with Nicolas Cage in it, bizarrely. I'm sure he's been in some Lovecraft before, I thought. Anyway, um, and these have never been done that well. Lovecraft is hard to get right in film for a variety of reasons. Um, but this is another attempt. And a lot of people have been saying that this is going to be the one that everyone is waiting for. So we shall see. I will watch the trailer. Have a look at the trailer. Let me know what you think. Will it be or will it be another letdown? Now, in a similar vein, not directly related, but closely related, I am super excited that coming out later this week, I think Friday or Sunday, I can't quite remember, to Netflix, so I think global date of the 7th of February, will be a TV adaptation of Lock and Key. Lock and Key was one of my favourite comics ever. And it has some loose Lovecraft metaphor in it, especially that they actually live in a place called Lovecraft. So those two uh, outputs coming soon, and we will see how they are treated. But if you're into your cosmic horror, then it's time to get excited. That was my links for the week. And now I have a short interview for you with Paul from Learned Eye. Learns is an AI-powered talent management platform that helps organizations to retain and improve their employees. And how it works, we start by modernizing traditional performance management processes, such as appraisal interviews, uh, and gather data from this. And use this data to come up with individual skill profiles per employee. So every employee has his or her own skill profile with skills relevant for him or her. Mm -hmm. And then can subsequently match this skill profile against all internal career opportunities within the organization, thereby allowing employees to map out their ideal internal career. And my main background is in the tech space. I'm guessing okay. you probably have some a reasonable amount of, of clients in that space. And I know yeah. retaining staff is often a expensive and a big problem. There's a lot of options. Yeah. I'm speaking to you from Berlin. You're near Amsterdam. They're both kind of places where there's lots of opportunities and yes. it's very easy for people to change jobs. So I'm, I'm guessing this is kind of the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, it's, it's the main problem, actually, because what we've also seen, um, well, it's, it's a nice story. We started this. I started this together with my two brothers. So it's a family business. And before we were doing this, we all had some uh, places of employment, uh, employment elsewhere. And what we noticed in all three of our jobs is that um, internal opportunities were not available and not discussed mm -hmm. with our managers because those managers simply did not benefit us from moving elsewhere within the same company. Mm. So we were just uh, doing our jobs and we had no insight in what we could do one year, three years, or five years from now. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, we were contacted by recruiters from other companies on a weekly basis if we want to start working elsewhere. So there was like this misconception on what we could do with, with our career uh, at, at this company uh, in which we were still employed. Well, there were so many opportunities to start working elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, that eventually cost us all three to churn and start working at a, a different company. So mm. that that got us thinking this, this had to be done smarter and more efficiently. And 
we could really help those companies in just making opportunities insightful and discussing them and thereby allowing employees to actually continue working within the same company. Mm. And I'm guessing this is a two-part problem. A, a technology solution is only one half of the problem if the company just still doesn't really pay any attention to it. So how do you yeah. or how does how does the platform and the and the the company convince people that this is a good idea or our company is already kind of on board and just looking for a solution? Um, well, we already uh, started working with almost 50 companies now yeah. for over a year. So we're already starting to see the, the first results. Yeah. Uh, and of course, what you say is true. We deliver a tech platform, so a bit of technology. But in the end, it's the people who have to do the work. And mainly uh, management, HR managers within those companies have to actually uh, carry this project within the organization. Uh, but in order to make that a success, we provide an elaborate implementation program in which we take the customer by the hand and just um, yeah, provide a step-by-step solution, provide enough uh, follow-up and support contact moments to actually help the company not only um, yeah, set up a piece of software, but actually start using that software within their daily work routine. And I guess one of the big selling points is probably cost of bringing on new people and the struggle of finding them, um, especially in smaller cities like, again, like Amsterdam. It's not the biggest place in the world. Often they have to get probably people from elsewhere to fill those gaps, which is not cheap or easy. Is that the main kind of uh, selling point, that, that the metric that people measure or you know, the cost of replacing existing talent? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, two part, we want to prevent our people from leaving. So that will save you a lot of costs. And we want thereby at the same time prevent that you have to start looking for people elsewhere. Mm. So internal career mobility. So we save in recruitment costs, we save in onboarding costs, and we save in training costs. But do you find that there's a particular company size where this starts working at? Um, you know, smaller companies will have less opportunities, obviously. So... Is there like a minimum size it, it starts to work at? Uh, well, so far we're focused on SME companies ranging from around 50 to 500 employees. Okay. Uh, ideally, we will start to uh, aim for bigger companies, 500 employees and higher. Uh, those bigger companies require some technical uh, specifications mm. for our platform, like integrations with core HR systems, uh, which we will have integrated within the coming six months. So, so far we're targeting some smaller companies, which also works uh, very well because um, not only do we promote internal mobility to help employees reach their next step, we also use their employee skill profiles to match them against their current role within the organization. So Mm -hmm. actually start developing uh, within their current role. So what do I have to do to become better in my daily job right now? This is also a piece of insight we provide and the tools to actually improve the skills you need on a daily basis. So within these smaller companies, our product also works uh, very good. And over the coming months, we will be targeting the, the large companies as well. Okay. And let's actually dig into some of the details of how the platform works. You've talked uh, a little bit about developing uh, the, your existing skills and lifelong learning. So not just changing jobs, but actually getting more out of what you're currently doing. Um, and then also maybe progression um, so what are some of the features that, that you offer to, to help people stay? 
Um, well, on the basis, like I said, it starts with uh, providing employees with their own skill profile mm. and how this works. Uh, our platform provides performance management tools. So we provide uh, a module for exchanging feedback. We provide a module for having coaching conversations. Uh, and we provide a module for companies to allow them to uh, implement their own skill set within this platform and use this skill set to uh, come up with their own job or role profiles. So, for instance, if you have a company that employs junior, media, and senior consultants, uh, we allow them to actually place those kinds of jobs within the platform with all their corresponding skills on the appropriate level, uh, thereby allowing every employee to have their own personal role profile with their own skills. And by means of those performance management uh, modules, such as exchanging feedback, we can get scores and evaluations on how we perform on those skills. Uh, and the next step, of course, is to actually uh, get into conversations with your manager and talk about how you perform and talk about where you want to go and how you should reach your next step. So um, in short, everyone has their own profile with their own skills. Mm -hmm. They can match their profile against all other available roles within the organization. Uh, most of the time, this will uh, result in some sort of gap. Like if you're a junior and you want to be a senior there are, of course, some skills you will need to develop. Um, and we will allow you to develop those skills with our performance management mo modules, such as exchanging feedback, setting goals, and ex uh, conducting conversations. Hmm. I always wonder with, uh, with platforms like this, how much do you have to customize each time and, and how possible is that for the companies? I mean, obviously, everyone is going to have very different uh, structures, very different opportunities, very different budgets and resources available for training and skills. So how, how hard have you found to accommodate all those various different needs? Or are you often going in to a, a zero basis? You know, the company doesn't have very much, so you can kind of dictate what it's going to be. Um, yeah, we provide a, a certain kind of framework on how companies can actually work with us in terms of both pricing and in terms of how to actually use the product. Mm. Uh, but uh, during our first conversations with every company, so in our sales cycle, we will also evaluate whether this company actually makes a good fit for our project, uh, product. So we're very transparent and very honest in that as well. If we think the company should have no reason to work with us, uh, we tell them that. So we only want to work with companies who we think we can actually help further with our product. Uh, and then when they actually uh, sign the agreement, so they want to work with us, then the implementation cycle starts and it's uh, one or two uh, video calls for intake to actually um, gather some information about this company and map out this information with how our platform works so we can align the course. Uh, and then before we actually start, there's an entire day of implementation on location of the company mm -hmm. in which uh, one of our customer success managers stops by and not only explains where all the buttons are, but also explains how we can actually uh, integrate and implement the platform within the organization. And then, as I mentioned before, after this implementation session, there are also uh, on a biweekly or monthly basis video calls for uh, further support. So actually getting the platform to work within the organization is a long, long process which requires some yeah, work and action for both parties. But so far, we've seen great results. Mm. And in terms of costs, um, yeah, we provide an entry-level package. It's a software as a service uh, yep. solution. Yep. Yep. We provide an entry-level package uh, of around 200 euros per month. 
which equals uh, about seven euros per user per month. Mm. And that price will gradually decrease as companies grow bigger. Mm. So in terms of pricing, we're very competitive. I think we're actually one of the cheapest out there. So, uh, so far, no problems in that area. So there are other people doing similar ideas, probably in the US, I guess, but um, you're not the only person with, with this idea at the moment? Uh, well, there are some other competitors who have similar okay. ideas in some way, um, such as performance management tools, as I mentioned, and mm. conducting conversations, exchanging feedback. Uh, only those modules uh, are not that original. There are many uh, competitors out there who provide these kind of tools, as well uh, is in the Netherlands as in the US or uh, Germany as well. So uh, in that area, we are not a standalone project. But uh, as I mentioned before, what makes us unique is that we provide uh, the insight into your current role and allow employees to match their role with all internal uh, opportunities and actually start working towards something. Um, that proposition is very unique with us. Okay. I think uh, there's only one competitor out there in the US who kind of has the same idea as we do, only we take the way in which uh, employees are evaluated even one step further where they rely on uh, evaluating employees based on a single questionnaire. So there's only one moment of mm. measurement. We uh, believe in continuous 360 degree performance evaluation. So we turn the year, we take out multiple moments to evaluate uh, employee performance on skills okay. and adjust our recommendations accordingly. And is that mostly automated assessments or with people or a mixture of the two? Um, uh, what do you mean by automated assessments? So the the constant um, cycles you've mentioned, is it always check-ins with people to assess um, progress and things like that? Or is it also machine learning driven um, forms ah. and, and things like that? And, uh, the assessments are always driven by people. Okay. So uh, as I mentioned before, the 360 degree performance evaluations, uh, those evaluations we conduct multiple times a year. So that means the employees have to evaluate themselves, mm -hmm. ask, one or, ask one or two peers to evaluate them, and there's also a formal evaluation by their manager or coach. Mm -hmm. uh, the output resulting from those evaluations will lead to new uh, scores on their skill levels, and those scores are then used by our tool in terms of machine learning to adjust recommendations for future relevant roles. Okay. And I don't know if it's too early to say, but um, how have current clients found um, using the platform? Has it, I guess it's sometimes hard to track um, churn when you don't know if you're ever going to have it. So it's hard to track whether it's been successful or not sometimes. But um, do companies and clients feel like it has, has solved some problems for them? Uh, well, you state, you state that nicely because yeah. we don't actually have the hard numbers yet because we're not uh, active for that long. But there's one company who has actively approached us um, to start working with us as they experienced a very high level of churn. I think they had 20% churn in three months. Mm. So that's insane. Uh, so they started working with us. And I think it's been a few months so far. And we're receiving signals from both management and employees that they really like working with the tool because mm. it provides such transparent insight in not only what they are doing right now, but also what their perspectives are for the future. Mm. So 
very positive signals and uh, well we're actually making a, a customer case out of it so I mm -hmm. hope in a few months we'll actually have the hard numbers to prove <laughs> what we are starting to do and I mean that's the interesting thing sometimes I guess you help highlight other problems that maybe the the software itself doesn't solve but by the companies asking the questions it solves <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah by actually making these kinds of topics uh, up for debate yeah our goals because yeah. many organizations just don't discuss these kind of things and only find out about uh, employee ambitions during exit interviews exactly and then it's too late so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's way too late by then. and i mean i guess things are relatively new but what's on the roadmap for the next six months or so uh, what's on the roadmap? Uh, well, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of new functionalities. We're building all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're also looking at integrations with other uh, more bigger core HR systems. So we will be ready for targeting the larger organizations. Um, uh, we're also going to take a critical look at our functionalities right now and just uh, like make a version 2.0 out of it. So just continuous improvement of what we are already supplying to our customers and looking at which features we can also add to make it even more uh, attractive. And you've been uh, at CES recently. Was that the only kind of large exhibition you've been to so far? Or have you also been to others? Um, well, nothing compared to CES, yeah. obviously. I think it's <laughs> by far the largest tech convention, but... Uh, yeah, in the Netherlands, we visited some conventions, uh, such as the Next Web last year, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is pretty big for our kinds of terms. But CES was uh, something else entirely. It's, it's just, it's just massive. Uh, do you find any any different kind of cultural uh, cultural reactions to to what you're offering? I don't know if there's any. I mean, there is definitely work cultural differences between Europe and the US, but. I'm guessing this is a relatively common problem, no matter what the workplace yeah, is, culture. <laughs> yeah, we were pleasantly surprised by that because one of our reasons to actually go to the CES was to uh, really test our proposition on a global level. Mm. So uh, just pitch our story to the American audience and get their reaction, get their feedback. Uh, and we've spoken to a lot of Americans in those week, in, the, in that week, and we've received so much positive response that this was such an original and refreshing concept. So. Uh, and that they think it would also really work within the United States. So yeah, yeah. we have some interesting talks about the possible launching customers or partnerships to uh, uh, to actually start moving to the U.S. Uh, in a year from now. So it's been a fruitful uh, week. Yep. And, I mean, obviously not everyone is going to have a need for the for the platform, but anyone who is interested in finding out some of your learnings, if you forgive the pun, you also have this... Uh, ebook available um for people who are maybe interested in knowing a bit more about what's going on behind the scenes without actually signing up i suppose <laughs> um exactly and uh, uh yeah uh we've written this ebook i think one month ago oh wow okay uh, <laughs> it's gonna be part of a series of uh, of multiple ebooks yeah uh, like a, a few months ago, we've written out our entire proposition in terms of uh, how we want to help organizations. And I think we've defined four uh, phases of HR maturity within every organization. So an entry-level organization will only start looking at basic performance management processes. And the larger organizations who are already familiar with these topics will actually start to look at data, HR analytics to refine 
how uh, their organization works. Mm. So we want to help every organization move from phase one to phase four. Mm-hmm. And we've written some content about that, of which this ebook is uh, the first part of a series. So in order to actually get the attention of companies who are still getting to know us, we provide those ebooks to uh, just uh, give them that final push towards working with us. Cool. And I always like to ask, last question, um, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you'd like to make sure is mentioned? Oh, that's an excellent question. <laughs> and, uh, no one ever really knows how to respond, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we are also um, uh, looking at expanding to the German market. Mm. So I was wondering uh, if you have any tips or just feedback for us, if we have to... Um, like um, make some adjustments or changes to the way we shape our proposition in order to be ready for the German market? Um, I, I guess, firstly, I suppose from the market you're looking at, you may not have to worry too much about German, which is odd thing to say, I know, but I'm sure you understand. <laughs> like especially Berlin, or, for example, the sorts of companies that worry about this are probably fairly international. Um there is a little bit, I'm not sure about what it's like in the Netherlands, but there is a little bit more here around, uh, there's a lot more culture of, uh, privacy and also, um, there's a little bit within HR departments of them being worried that employees might use negative feedback against the company. <laughs> this, this happens especially in, um, job interviews and things. I guess when you're already in the company, it's probably a bit different, but, there is a little bit it, – it, it's a little bit more litigious here maybe than some you okay. might expect. Uh, so you have to be a little bit careful with that. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how that would work in context of of, of your platform, but there is that. Um, I will also say that some of the smaller uh, tech companies here especially can be a little immature when it comes to HR processes. So you're at that question with what you're saying with the book of um, – yeah moving people along they often have nobody uh you know hiring here can be very strange like i've had interviews where i've spoken to someone twice and then they offer me a job and it's like is that it you know that's (laughs) it seems kind of (laughs) it almost feels like that was too easy (laughs) so 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 there is that i suppose it's 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 the the problem you probably have in the Netherlands too is that there's not enough people for certain roles. So they're just so desperate, they'll just kind of go very, very quickly. Yeah, so processes can be immature. Um, yeah, so I guess privacy thing is definitely one, which, I mean, you're a European company, you probably already have your eye on that. Uh, and, yeah, and culture can be a little bit more litigious um, around feedback in, in jobs, which which is which is odd. Um, and then you probably just need to check some legal stuff, which I can't really say exactly, but, um, yeah, it's growing. There's definitely a lot of, uh, SMEs and then you can go bigger companies like Zolando, for example, that are huge, but they're probably already doing something. Um, but that could be good. They could be, they have the process, but maybe they have no system. So that actually could be a good opportunity, but they are huge companies. So, and even if they already have a system, you can always switch. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, always up. yeah, I mean, Berlin is is definitely has the same problem as a lot of American cities and and London as well. That people move around a lot because there's lots of opportunities. Yep. Um, and I know, so I do a lot of tech writing work, and that's a role where often you get a bit stuck 
and you leave because you feel like, what do I do next in this company? So, I mean, I personally and people who do similar jobs to me have definitely left companies because you feel like, now what? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's exactly that. That's why this interested me because I've definitely been in this situation myself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And and some are better at it than others. I definitely know some companies where they've let people switch to being project managers or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, it really does depend, as, as you probably know. Um, but yeah, I think it's too different from the Netherlands, but there's a few little differences. Um, yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's a big market, but, um, yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Lots of yeah. Yeah. And then you've also got the, the UK, which is different. Yeah, that's ways as well. <laughs> and then, and then France, France is, uh, well, France is its own special <laughs> when it comes to work. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think France is a bit more difficult in terms of culture and language. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely, yeah. But no, I think it would be actually quite applicable here. I definitely know plenty of companies here where this could work very well if you could figure out what those cultural differences might be and figure yeah. them out. Um, I don't think it'll be that much different from the Netherlands, though, especially the sorts of companies that I'm talking about, where they're very international anyway. That was my interview with Paul from Learned.io. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you found something interesting there. Now, I'm back from FOSTEM. That was an interesting few days, actually, different from my usual FOSTEM. Um, I kind of went to more side events, actually, than the main event. I met lots of interesting people. I got lots of uh, people to follow up with. I ended up judging an open source a grant giving competition, which was quite cool. I got to help give out $80,000 to uh, worthy open source projects. Um, watch this space for the winners. I can't tell you who right now. That was good. And coming up very soon, I will be in Manchester, mostly for fun, uh, around the middle of February, if you feel like saying hi there. And then I will be in Jerusalem talking at uh, Megacom, the Tech Writers Conference, and then in Tel Aviv for a few days, again, just for fun. After that, I get back and then I'm off to South by Southwest for 10 days. So lots of places we can say hi to each other. Um, I have some new articles in progress. I think my article on Kong finally came out. I'm finishing up uh, some of my articles on Chronosphere and also Starling X. I'm getting back into the writing game a bit more, a bit more time again to start getting back to blogging. You'll be glad to hear. So my slight dearth of blogging over the past 10 months or so is coming to an end. There's going to be a lot more coming very, very soon. So watch, well, don't watch this space, watch com. If you have enjoyed the show, please rate, review, share, spread the word. And once again, until next time, thank you very much for listening.